Today on Indivisible Westchester, the podcast, County Executive George Latimer talks to us about a number of different issues, including taxes, election security, the threat of cyber attacks, and fight or flight on Facebook. Westchester County Executive George Latimer joins us today. So George, it's been two years ago since you won your election. Time's flown by, I'm sure. What's been the most surprising thing? Well, Shannon, first of all, great to be with you and appreciate you having this forum so we can just chat informally. I think, you know, the, the size and scope of county government, I was in uh, as a legislator for 13 years. I chaired the Board of Legislators for four years. And I had, for what a legislator needs to know, a fairly encyclopedic knowledge of the county government. Things certainly changed from the time that I left the county to go to Albany and then came back uh, you know, 13 years later. But the size and scope of what we have to do really makes you stop for a second. It humbles you because, you know, unless you're arrogant or ignorant, you don't, uh, you know, you don't drive the, the car through the window of the china shop. You proceed very carefully through, look at each piece and, and with a certain amount of respect for what you're facing. The county government houses prisoners. The county government has a probation department to deal with prisoners when they're released from prison. County government treats sewerage. The county government sends people inside every restaurant uh, in the county to check health conditions. The county deals with a communicable disease outbreak like measles or worse were that to happen. Mm-hmm. The county has 50-plus parks that range from uh, public swimming pools to beaches to a historic amusement park, places you can hike. Uh, and places where you could play miniature golf. The, the diversity of what falls in the county's portfolio is pretty tra- dramatic. But I also know, and I know this from my past and current experience, most people don't focus on county government. We're regional government. The services we provide are not always that visible. Right. And, uh, you know, when you when you come to Westchester County, even or if you grew up in Westchester County, but if you come to Westchester County for someplace else, you come and you pick a house in the town or the community you live in. You focus on basic services. Your head hits the bed there. You certainly want good education for your children. But then you live your life, your corporate life, your professional life, all across the country. When I was national director of sales for two separate companies in my field of endeavor, I traveled all the time. I mean, you know, lived in Rye. And, you know, Friday night, flying into LaGuardia or Kennedy after a week someplace else, mm-hmm. I didn't really know what was happening. I know the garbage got picked up and, you know, the streets were clean. And right. and I loved living in Westchester, but I didn't, and even though I grew up here, but I didn't think about all of the public policy issues. And many people live their life like that here. Now that I'm involved in trying to make sure we deliver the best possible quality of life, at the same time to advance what I believe, and I suspect you and most of the listeners believe, are good, solid, progressive values. Mm -hmm. Values that include people of all different demographic backgrounds. Values that represent immediate response to anti-Semitism or misogyny in the society. So we don't accept this, this climate of, you know, permissiveness of prejudice that's gone on, that we, um, uh, that we provide services that people who are poor in this county need. Mm-hmm. And because I did grow up in one of the poor neighborhoods of the county, I'm, I'm, I'm well aware of the need that exists in places like Mount Vernon and Port Chester and, and Yonkers. And all of that we have to do. So it's, it's kind of vast. It's a long answer to a very simple question. The size and scope of county government, while it's not a state, it's not the federal government, it's still a significant government, and it's engaged 100% of my interest and attention and uh, hopefully well. Let's talk about taxes. Taxes are probably the one issue that people talk about the most but understand the least. How so? Well, I think because uh, the the time and energy it takes to understand how this archaic system of funding government, particularly in New York, um, really takes 
effort from people who are otherwise raising their families, practicing their own professional careers in business. They're here. They have social and, and avocational interests that don't involve talking or thinking about government. And so you find out that uh, in New York State, the structure of government evolved. It wasn't created. You know, the Marquis de Sade did not create this to torture us, but uh, it's evolved, and and in and its evolution, there's different layers that do different things. And you know, the person moves into the county, they go, okay, explain this to me, George. Mamaroneck Village, Mamaroneck Town, Rye Neck, Rye right. City, Rye right. Brook, Town of Rye, City of Rye. Uh, isn't this all like overlapping? And and by the way, I need to answer that question like two sentences because the person who's talking to me does not want to get Government 101 explained to them. They just want a simple answer. And in default of that, my taxes are high. So in order to correlate value, which is which includes more than just the cost of something, you need to be able to explain to them what are the services we provide and why they're important. Mm-hmm. An intelligent person grasps, you, you have to have a county jail. Every little town and village cannot hold a person who is uh, arrested uh, properly in, and hold them in that location more than overnight. So the county is a regional provider of a, of a place for incarceration, which you need to have. And then when that incarceration ends, short or long term, there's a probationary system, and there's a probation department of people who go out and look at the person and see what they're doing and make sure they're not heading back into a system of crime. All of this stuff is expensive, so you pay taxes. You pay taxes to the village or town that you live in, both usually, or the city. You pay taxes to the county. You pay taxes to the school district, but not equal proportion. If I have a $20,000 tax bill, I'm paying about thirteen five of it to the school district. Right. But I live in Westchester, and somebody says, you know, if you move to Westchester, you're going to pay high taxes. Yeah, well, what's Westchester doing that's so expensive? Westchester County, the government, you're paying 3000 of that $20,000 bill to the county. Mm-hmm. It's a relatively small proportion. And if I said to you, Shannon, I'm going to cut your county taxes by 10%. Let's assume you pay 20 a year. Mm-hmm. That's probably a fraction, but mm-hmm. at the magic number of 20. So we cut it by 10%. That means the 3000 that you and might pay, you're going to wind up saving 300 bucks. So go home tonight and say, I spoke to Latimer. He's going to cut county taxes 10%. You know that $20,000 bill I have? It's going to be nineteen seven. Great. Right, and one dinner at Lusardi's, and we're halfway there. (laughs) It doesn't sound earth-shattering. So it it isn't earth-shattering, but the perception of people when they look at the aggregate of taxes is what makes them upset. And And that's what's hard to overcome. And that's what's hard to overcome. So so to that point, Westchester County is an expensive place to live. Housing is expensive. What have you been able to do on the affordable housing front? Well, I think the the biggest thing that, that we have to recognize is that the affordability problem exists at the lower end of the economic market. If I'm making 150000 a year, I still can't afford to buy a house that's $1.2 million. And when you look at a $1.2 million house in Westchester, it's not like the Beverly Hills mansion that I saw on TV in the Beverly Hillbillies. Um, it, it is... Um, Fairly nice but fairly average houses are very expensive here because of the private marketplace. The part of the affordability we have to deal with are for people who are making incomes that are are under 100000 a year Mm -hmm. and they're working, but at the same time they just can't find a place to live because nothing is affordable in that range. And then also for our senior citizens who have lived here for a certain amount of time, many of whom who went in their earning years were in the 50s or 60s. They could buy a house at that point in time, 
Uh, my parents bought a house in south side of Mount Vernon for $11,000. That's inconceivable today. Even a house that needs work in one of the poorest neighborhoods of this county is going to be fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars mm-hmm. at at minimum. And then you have to put another X thousand in it to make the place good. So what we need to do in affordable housing is look for those examples where we can find uh, publicly owned land or acquire land or incentivize private sector uh, developments to set to get a set aside of affordable units. And in all of that effort, we need thousands of units in addition to what we have now. And you make progress primarily because this is a home rule state where local villages and towns mm-hmm. get to set the rules for zoning and planning. Right. You make progress at first from, as the first President Bush says, the coalition of the willing. Mm-hmm. Those communities that recognize they have an affordability need and are willing to work on it, and the county comes in and partners. We have available resources that we have direct allocation for, infrastructure and so forth. We have, through the Industrial Development Agency, the, the ability to help finance and save money in the development of a, of a residential complex if it includes a certain amount of affordable housing. Um, and we also have some access to some rent subsidies to the Section 8 program, even though we don't manage it anymore. The combination of those things, Shannon, can help incentivize apartments being built. The greater problem is is that many of the communities of Westchester County are not part of the coalition of the, of the willing. And somebody says, uh, I'll take it outside of our context here, but somebody says, you know, I'm going to move to Hillsborough, California, mm-hmm. a very upscale community in the Bay Area. Um, I don't want somebody next to me who's in an affordable house. I'm paying an arm and a leg for my house. Right. And there are communities like that in this county. And the county has to use all of the tools available from being exceedingly nice to tough to help get those communities to understand that they have a role to play in building those affordable housing as well. What about shared services? How have you been able to take advantage of shared services? I know that's something the Astorino administration didn't fully take advantage of. How have you been Yeah, able I think to- there was a disconnect because shared services were being pushed by Governor Cuomo, and I think Rob viewed himself as a future you know, opponent uh, again with him, so he didn't embrace what the governor made available. The, uh, the state program offers some incentives to us. If we can show tangible means of saving of money through shared services, that we would be able to have that money matched by the state. That becomes an economic benefit to do that. Um, the, uh, the shared services initiative in our administration is headed by Emily Saltzman, who is uh, active here in the Mermanic Town community, and she's worked in the state uh, prior to her service in the county. So she's in an ideal position to help us figure out how to identify where we can make those uh, those uh, those connections. I'll give you one example that represents a host of directions we can go in. We uh, made a joint purchasing of new police cars. Police cars usually go through a police car about three years. The mm. speed and the miles sure. on a patrol car, you wear it out in three years. Um, we made a joint purchasing effort with Nassau County and Suffolk County. And what we did is we went to all the municipalities. Uh, how many new police cars do you have? So for the sake of this discussion, Larchmont Village says we need to buy one or two new police cars this year. Well, Briarcliff, we need to buy one. And we aggregated that plus the county, and we came up with X. And then Nassau and Suffolk came up with Y and Z. We put it all together. We made one single purchase of these many vehicles. We got the, I'll call it the Costco discount. You know, when you buy, <laughs> when you buy a year's supply of toilet paper, you get a discount right. per roll. Sure. And we saved a million bucks mm. by that type of shared service. 
right here, and I know we're speaking to a group larger than just the immediate geography, but you look at Larchmont and Mamaroneck as a community. They already have a shared services in their sanitation commission. They already, they already have an LMC TV, a three community shared service. You go to two other communities and they have two separate side-by-side systems in two villages that are next to each other. Right. And there are different levels of skill and ability. So, so the shared service... Trying to work that out. Right. The shared service potential is there. We have taken on the responsibility, and this I'll credit you know, my, prede- my predecessor, uh, we take on the local policing uh, responsibilities for Mount Kisco Village. They pay the county a certain amount of money, and the county takes the local police department, and we make it a precinct of the county police, and it's saving Mount Kisco Village a million dollars. We, we, we're trying to make that offer out there to other generally smaller municipalities that if you, you have to make the decision. Uh, but if you do, we'll work with you, and we'll take over that function, and we'll save you money. That's what that's what the state needs to see us do, that we come up with these creative ways to combine services, whether it's between the county and the municipality or between two municipalities. We're making some progress. Uh, we've got a long way to go. George, winter's coming. Last year, there were a couple of storms, and you were very critical of the head of the uh, electricity companies. Do you, are you, how do you feel? Do you think they're prepared for winter this year? Well, the, the incidents that happened were the very first couple of months of my taking office in the, in the winter of 1718, the, 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 the 2018 portion of that winter. Last year, the 1819 winter, the one most recently, uh, Con Edison and NYSEG had made some commitments to do some things that they haven't done before. They committed to uh, have a certain amount of equipment based in Westchester so they wouldn't have to bring it in from out of state. They committed that they would communicate in a much more robust way with the local governments. You get a situation, I actually you know, experienced, I went out and looked at some of these things, where a tree would fall down and it had power lines on it. And the power company has to come out, Con Edison, and cut the power. Then the DPW local come out and they chop up the tree. Mm-hmm. And then they remove the tree. And then Con Edison comes back up, they restring the wires and they turn the power back on. That disaster in, in uh, Riley and Quinn, those are the names of the two um, storms, uh, people were out for, for eight days. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason for it to be that way. So Con Edison made some changes in structure, which we accepted as a step forward. Now, here's the thing. We weren't tested that badly the last winter. Yeah, These changes went into effect. Right. So what's my level of confidence going into this winter? I'll, I'll use uh, the phrase that President Reagan used when he talked about uh, President Gorbachev and uh, uh, missile uh, reductions. Dovernai no provenai, trust but verify. We're going to have to verify that these things that have been committed to are being done, and and we intend to do that. And certainly, Con Edison is being held very accountable by the Public Service Commission. Now they're under great scrutiny for the for the way they operate going forward. George, I saw you voted early this year. How do you think early voting is going to change elections? Well, in the longer term, I think what it's going to do, once people really understand it, it's going to make it easier for those people for whom the one day to vote and only one day is an impediment because of their work schedule or their life schedule or, you know, that it happened to me. You know, uh, you hear on a Thursday, uh, George, you got to go to the West Coast. We have a client. you got to see him on Tuesday. We set up a meeting for you on Tuesday. Tuesday's election day. What am I going to do? Well, what I'm going to do now is knowing that on Thursday, I can early vote on Friday and I don't have to miss the opportunity to vote. So I think it's going to be helpful. I think what it also does 
is because of the range of time, just going to help people. If you have childcare responsibilities, mm-hmm. if you have uh, a senior parent that you have to take care of, this kind of time frame will help. So I think it should raise the amount of our, of our voting. But I will tell you this much, Shannon, you've traveled and lived in other parts of the country. And although I'm from here and I've lived here most of my life, I've lived in a few other states as well. New Yorker, uh, New Yorkers do not vote at the same percentage that other states do. And some of it are these impediments right. to voting, and some of it is an attitude. And I think part of what will make early voting successful is if those of us who are in government positions communicate with people more thoroughly create more of a sense of public accessibility and then people feel more engaged and then they feel like their vote matters because I think there's a certain percentage of people that don't vote in this area because their attitude is my vote doesn't matter. These guys are going to do whatever the heck they want anyway and I think that is the longer term battle. But early voting is a major step in the right direction to win that battle. Let's talk about election security. You know that activists have been critical of the vote, the hybrid voting machines that the county bought that were certified and are certified by the State Board of Elections. Are you confident that the Board of Elections is doing enough to protect our vote? Well, no, but uh, you have to see how the 2019 cycle plays out in elections and then make an assessment of it. Uh, I didn't support the Board of Elections buying these equipment. In fact, neither the county administration, county executive administration, nor the Board of Legislators supported this. But the county Board of Elections is more directly responsible for the state Board of Elections. So uh, I've supported legislation. And by the way, most of our state delegates from Westchester, assemblymen and senators, also support legislation that would change the, the choice factor at the state level if they authorize different equipment then the local you know, county board of elections could, could buy those equipment, but you know, they were limited in their choices. Having said that, there's other elements to vote security, and now we're watching with early voting. How, how are the units secured in between all of these days that they're available? What's the training level of the people that sit at those desks when you come up uh, and here's the election inspector and you ask them questions and the way they respond and are they properly trained, are they properly motivated? Um, Look, I think probably, not being as savvy as many others are, I think probably every system is hackable at some level if you really want to hack it. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I think uh, we can do better than what we're doing now. We're going to look at 19 as an example. I don't expect the Westchester local elections to be hacked, but 2020 is the, is the grand uh, experience here. To that point, can we talk about cyber attacks? Uh, look at Baltimore. They just suffered a... a a vicious attack and they're 18 million dollars in the hole of trying to come back from that is the county doing anything uh, to try and protect itself from a cyber attack happening whether well, it's voting we're working or on it else? we're working on it now we're not there you know we're not there and uh, what are you uh, looking at uh, well I, I don't know the exact uh, names of the contractors but Marguerite Byrne who also happens to be a Romantic Town resident hmm. is the commissioner of our IT department and she highlighted this as a need, and we've allocated money in this budget for capital improvements in our IT structure and services, and particularly to try to, to, try to make ourselves more resistant to a cyber attack. Um, but I think the, the, um, uh, the creativity and the skill set of the hackers is such that they stay up all night long figuring ways to break into a system. If they haven't broken into ours, it's because they haven't decided that this was the important one to go after. So we're going to try to be as resilient as we can, as fast as we can. Mm-hmm. But, you know, look, I, I'm a pretty candid guy. I'm not going to tell you I think we're where we need to be right now. But it's not because of a lack of interest in the people that we have. I think, you know, these, these are the kind of things we should have been investing in all along. We haven't. And I don't want to try to, you know, play poor mouth about it, but when when you see every single department of county government has been underfunded at some level, Mm 
you know, then you say, well, I've got to do this, but then I have to do that too. You know, you talk about roads and bridges, talk about sewer treatment plants, capital, right. talk about we don't have enough people in the planning department, we don't have enough money for child care. All of those things were an outgrowth of, of policies that stem from a very different philosophy. In changing the philosophy and having some resources in this year too, we're really in the process of beginning to restock these things, and one of them is this, is IT cybersecurity. Do you know if cyber insurance is part of that? It's part of the discussion. You know, we. I'm not sure as we sit here today that I know enough about how far we've progressed. I know that we don't have a proposal back before us for our final scrutiny. I know that they're investigating how we would handle this because, but I mean, I'm, I'm well aware of situations where, you know, they hold you hostage and uh, the conventional uh, police means nothing. Mm -hmm. they, they, they operate offshore. They operate at a high level of technology that, uh, you know, we have trouble matching up to. But that would be part of it. But, but I think we'll, we'll make a note that uh, we'll be more conversant on this over the course of the next month or two. And if we have a follow-up conversation, we'll clue you in. George, it seems like you're everywhere. You're also very active on social media. How has that been good and bad for you? Well, um, you know, originally, I, like most people in my age category, and I don't mind telling you, I'm about uh, three weeks away from turning 66. Uh, happy early birthday. Thank you. And um, most people in my age category accept the changes in communications and technology, but we accept it sort of begrudgingly. It's like, do I have to use a fax machine? Yes, you do. <laughs> well, okay. Do I have to have this voice machine at home that pick up messages? Yes, What's you do. What's this email? Yeah. Right. And so you get there, but it takes a little while. So in the first couple of years that uh, uh, Facebook and Twitter were out there, I guess Facebook 2004, Twitter 2010, um, you know, I sort of resisted. I really didn't do much. I had a staffer, you know, kind of keep an eye on that stuff. And then I realized that communication through those mechanisms were essential, but it had to be for me. It had to be in my own voice. And so I finally embraced it a number of years ago. And embracing it, the good side of it is, if you follow me on Facebook, if you follow me on Twitter, that's really me. That's my language. And sometime I'm asking you which song by uh, the police or Sting is your favorite. Yes, Synchronicity. Yeah, there the you go. Yeah. Best album. Uh -huh. I, and, I forgot to comment on that. Right. <laughs> I, I, I think I was ahead I toward 10 Summoner Tales, the one that he did when solo in 93. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's Great a nice album, one. too. Uh -huh. But yeah. suffice to say, I'll so talk about music. I, I have all my sports angst. You know, I mean, I'd be a right, sports, right, right. sports caster, a sports executive if I could have swung that career path. Um, and then, I'll, and then I'll, I'll talk about, you know, uh, symbolic things in my life. Breakfast in Fort Worth, when mm -hmm. I once went out of my way to have breakfast at the same place that Jack Kennedy spoke the last morning of his life, to, to channel what it's like to plan your day and then have it end, basically. Right. Um, but then I also talk about public policy, and so to all of that is the good side. Now, here's the bad side. A lot of people are on Facebook and other places, and, and they're there not just to disagree, which is perfectly fine. It's perfectly American to disagree, but it's the nastiness. It's the viciousness. And, and I must tell you, while there are people on the far left or the left who, are, who can be vicious, it seems to me that it's much more prevalent on the right. They're much angrier. They'll use you know, foul language, which I'm, you know, I'm no perfect person. I use the wrong word from time to time, too. But once it's in print, you know, then I tend not to do that in print. I mean, that's sort of like a focus situation. And, and when I see people go on and they misrepresent what my administration has done, they misrepresent what my personal efforts are, they, they accuse me of things that are not true, I get angry. And when I get angry, I don't think my posts necessarily are irrational, but I respond in kind. And I've often said where I grew up, the neighborhood I grew up in was a tough neighborhood. You know, I was the only white kid, and it was not, not you know, uh, Marcus of Queensbury rules when you fought. 
And uh, the rule of back at you is if you get on Facebook, particularly my page, the government page is a government page, I'll respond. But on my personal page, and you say something with a certain tone, I will come back at you with the same tone. And why? And this is now, forgive me if this sounds like I got a chip on my shoulder. I think that the angry conservatives, not philosophical conservatives who disagree with you and they discuss policy in a, in, in a rational range, angry conservatives think they can push us around. They can call us snowflakes. They look tougher. There's almost like a threat of physical intimidation sometimes. There tends to be you know, like more men are conservative and more women are liberal, so we're going to play this kind of game. And when I see that, I get furious. I am not, you know, now I'm a little old now, I start throwing punches. But um, in younger years, I would hold my own. You know, I wouldn't let anybody push me around physically. But I get angry and I want to push back and I want them to understand something. You do not come on Facebook, get snotty with me. You want to talk respectfully, I listen to anybody. I have some friends of mine on my Facebook page, very conservatives, and they comment and I never push back nasty on them. I'll, I'll dispute the argument. Mm -hmm. But some of these people troll in and they need to hear it in the same language that they dish it out. As my mother used to say, a blessed memory, you can dish it out, but you can't take it. And when I give it back to them, they start crying. Oh my God, he's punching down. Oh, this isn't how an elected official should speak. Well, don't start it and I won't finish it. So George, if at the let's say at the end of your term, if somebody were to say, or even now for that matter, if somebody were to say, George Latimer, county executive, what's the one word you want them to think of? What should come to mind? Um, I don't know. I, I, I can't do it in one word, but I would say right, regular, guy, regular, <laughs> regular guy. Regular, regular guy. That I, that. And I'll give you that? the backup to regular guy. A person who served in office, who cared who communicated with people, who had the basic, what I consider to be the basic mainstream thinking of Westchester County all my life, and that I didn't, I didn't take the position with an arrogance. I didn't, uh, I didn't, I, I tried to solve problems as I saw it, and I was a regular guy. You could talk to me, you could, you, you could lobby me and break through if your ideas were good, because so much of what creates the cynicism, the lack of voting, the lack of confidence in government, is the belief that those people in office are disconnected from everyday life. They're living in a different and a better world. They're in a bubble around them, and they don't really care that somebody out there, they don't care that somebody's poor. They also don't care that somebody middle class is sweating their taxes. Or they don't care that somebody who's wealthy and put a lot of money into their house feels that the, the level of services isn't what they expected. And, and that the regular guy who was county executive understood those things, that he heard you and he did the best that he could with very good quality people around me. I, got, I, you know, I know the other guy says this in Washington. I really do have terrific people, and I think they stand on their own merit. I don't have to say, oh, they're all beautiful. You know, They're really talented people who have been attracted to work in this administration because they have the freedom to create you know, policy and on their own. But it was a, it, it was a regular guy. And if we believe, as I do, that you're not, waiting, you're not waiting for the man on a white horse to save you. You're not waiting for this one superstar to come in. That the solution to our problems are amongst us. And that a regular, decent, intelligent American can take on responsibility and perform well. Then it changes the whole dialogue, Shannon. What anybody does in an indivisible, what anybody does in their PTA, what anybody does uh, in any way, shape, or form in this society, that that can be contributory to what makes us a better society. George Latimer, regular guy and county executive, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. A real pleasure, Shannon. Thanks for taking the time.
Thanks for listening to Indivisible Westchester, the podcast. Find us online at indivisiblewestchester.org, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to keep on resisting.